It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or if you're listening on Sunday night, AM 1260 WBIX, the Business Buzz. Hey, it's um, it's 12 degrees here in Boston this morning, and it's cold, and what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's cold, but we're, with us on the phone is uh, Tom Closer. Tom Closer is the Dean of U.S. Oil Analyst, foremost expert on North American fuel markets, and founder of the Oil Price Information System. And uh, he's down in Florida where I don't think it's cold. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Hi, good morning. So I'm thinking it's not 12 degrees down in Florida like it is here in Boston. No, it's a, it's a crisp uh, 68 or 69 so far, warming up to 84 today. So, so about as close to perfect as you get. So you're going to go over and watch the Red Sox practice? Uh, actually going to go uh, play some golf this afternoon there, there you for go. the first time. So. There, there yep. you go. There you go. So this is the season where, and, and why I brought up the temperature, this is the season where we see winter gasoline start to go into summer blends and usually we see a little dip in gas prices before it goes up so what's the story with gas prices we gonna i i heard somebody say that we might see four dollar gas prices by summer you think there's any truth to that uh i don't think there's any truth to that uh i think there's a chance of that but it's similar to the chance of penelope cruz calling me up and asking me to go over for the weekend so i i think we're going to see modest prices uh I think we're off to a little bit of a rough start, uh, if only because crude oil prices really got hammered this week. They were in a range between 51 and $55 a barrel since the OPEC meeting on November 30th, and uh, they closed the week at, uh, at about 48.50 or so. So it's very difficult for gasoline to go up when crude oil is dropping, and uh, it looks as though we're going to get a late start for the spring leap on gasoline prices this year. And, you know, speaking of crude oil prices, is there a range that it should just sort of stay in? I mean, in my head, I'm always like, it should be in the 52 to $56 a barrel range, not, you know, not down at 29 not down, not up at 80 But to me, that seems like a happy place. Is that, does that make any sense? Well, I, I, you know, to a certain extent, you're, you're talking about economic theory, which is the marginal barrel or the last million barrels of, of global oil. You should determine the price, but the reality is is that uh, there's as much trading in crude oil as there is in S&P stocks these days. I mean, you're talking about trillions of dollars each week getting traded in crude. So, you know, the break-even numbers are all over the place. There are single digits in the Middle East, places like Saudi Arabia, and they're probably 35 to $45 a barrel in some of the U.S. oil shale plays. Now, the interesting thing about that is that a few years ago when we had a hundred dollar crude, there were a lot of companies in this country that were barely breaking even with that because the costs were so high. We've learned so much about extracting shale and bringing shale crude to market that the bottom line or the break even costs have come down to thirty five to forty five dollars a barrel. 
So you and there was a time I remember when you know some you know some oil producers was talking about the Canadian oil sands and they said something well if crude oil ever gets over fifteen dollars a barrel it makes sense to do it so you it is really about these new new old sources for for oil right yeah I mean to a certain extent it's the new sources in shale and it's it's better technology for the old sources the one thing that's calmed down a lot is deep water deep water is expensive anyway you look at it oil sands prices are dropping uh, and I mean by that that the extraction numbers are dropping because the better technologies are, are coming out and projects are coming in under budget so um, you know if there's anything like a sweet spot in the price of food it would probably be 50 to 55 dollars a barrel mm-hmm. and we spent most of the last hundred days but uh, when you trade these things uh, it's almost like a NASDAQ stock circa 1999 or 2000 you get much wider ranges. And we like that because we like the volatility. We don't want to see a European soccer game. We want to see second half of the Super Bowl. Uh, especially, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with that. How, and speaking of which, how much of, you know, it, it used to be, you know, when people ask me about uh, oil and gas prices, I would say, you know, in its kind of basic, it's really supply and demand, but it's supply, demand, and speculation, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit, of, a little bit of both. I mean, almost all banks, hedge funds, and and commodity pools have a number of people who trade crude now. I mean, uh, the amount of trading in crude oil and the amount of money that's invested, uh, and I'm talking quiet invested or aggressive investment, investment speculation, is just mind-boggling. And I think it's going to continue to grow because you think about it, and you think about where a lot of money was invested in the last. 30 years was in the bond market and the treasury market, which was essentially a bull market for 30 years. Uh, it looks as though with uh, President Trump that inflation is going to return as a bugaboo. So a lot of money is going to come out of trading bonds and T-bills, and it's going to go into commodities because commodities historically are a great inflation hedge. Was that, was that a stock tip? <laughs> Not really a stock tip. I, I do think that, that you know crude oil prices below fifty dollars represent a wonderful buying opportunity for the long term. But I think people better forget about seventy five and eighty dollars a barrel for this decade as well. Mm. Uh, you know, in in the, the first decade of this century, we saw prices as high as one hundred and forty five and as low as probably about eleven or twelve dollars a barrel. Uh, we'll pass that future. It's going to be a much more narrow range, and it's going to be about who's good operator, who are good operators, and who can bring oil to market the most efficiently. And how about when you hear reports about you know uh, gas consumption numbers being up, or vehicle number mile traveled being up or down, and then all of a sudden you see that you know the energy office does one report, and then. I don't know if Visa or Mastercard do another report, and they don't agree with each other. What 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 does that do to the market? Well, I, I you know I, when I talk in my incredibly uh, 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 popular and uh, uh, usually if, particularly in tropical locations presentations about petroleum data, I say that you know if you made up an author for it, the author would be Mike Easter because <laughs> it's always pulled out of Mike Easter. Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't have a lot of real good data uh, other than things on price. Last year, I do think that we broke the record for gasoline consumption this year. I don't think that's something, 
that we should necessarily fear uh, because CAFE standards, corporate average fuel economy, were probably the best piece of climate legislation passed in our lifetime. And it's best to keep on a model where you have very efficient vehicles and you use less. That may get arrested here before long. But I think last year was probably the peak. Uh, you know, as the fleet turns over, even if you're driving a big old F-150 or whatever, you're going to get better mileage on the new ones. Uh, and the young kids, you know, they're not necessarily gravitating to cars or waiting for their licenses like we did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So uh, I don't think electric is going to make the big inroads. Uh, it's that bright, shiny object, particularly when you come to a Tesla. So it is going to be most of the fossil fuels future, but it's also going to be one that sees a lot of Uber and Lyft and autonomous vehicles. And I don't think we'll, uh, we'll use more gasoline in any subsequent year than we used in uh, 2016. Now, I'm, I'm the last person to be political, but do you think this new EPA administrator who doesn't believe in, necessarily believe in, carbon dioxide and EPA numbers, uh, the, the idea that we were going to be at, you know, 54 and a half miles per gallon by 2025. Do you think if that's lightened up, that will make any difference to what happens with, um, with the vehicle manufacturers? Or do you think they're still on track to try to produce as efficient vehicles as what makes sense? Well, I, I want to be fair to the vehicle manufacturers. Uh, they've done a really good job up until now. And uh, one of the problems is, is that they uh, have done such a good job in making some of the larger vehicles that, you know, people have gravitated to light trucks and SUVs more than they have to some of the sedans. Uh, they tell me that they've gone as far as they can go without a fuel change. Uh, you know, unless we add more octane to the fuel, they're going to have a real tough time getting the 54 and a half miles per gallon. But I do think the fleet's going to continue to uh, improve. Uh, As I said, I mentioned that I thought CAFE standards were the best piece of climate legislation ever passed. So the last thing I would like to see is is for them to to be lowered. And, uh, you know, I believe in global warming. I believe that uh, it's best not to live large when when one talks about their carbon footprint. So I hope that somewhere down the line, uh, you know, the cars that are being manufactured these days that get 30 miles a gallon or whatever are really terrific cars. So uh, I, I think we'll continue to use less, and uh, we'll be using a lot less gasoline, you know, five or six years down the road. The yeah. problem is the rest of the world is growing, and we're going to have a billion more cars probably by 2030 or 2035. And most of those cars, now we may go, you know, we may go, 150 million electric vehicles, but it still leaves the majority of the fleet running on fossil fuel. Mm. Yeah, we're talking with Tom Close, uh, an oil analyst and founder of the Oil Price Information Service. I was in uh, Mexico a couple years ago, and strangely enough, the hotel I was staying in had a corn convention, and there was a bunch of pop-up signs in the lobby, and I walked over and I kind of looked at something, and there was a guy next to me who's spoke better English than I did Spanish, and I said to him something like, you know, I'm looking at the sign trying to figure out what it means, I said, I don't see anything about uh, fuel made out of corn and alcohol, and he said to me, we would never do that because uh, corn is too important a resource to use to make um, fuel out of. What do you think's going on with um, E85 or, or higher blends of alcohol mixed with gasoline here in the States? 
Well, I think the E85 is in trouble uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you have a lot less BTUs in the higher ethanol blend. And a Consumer Reports uh, story years ago did damage that is probably irreparable on that. Mm. Uh, you just don't have as big of a molecule. But the biggest thing that's going to hurt E85 is that those flex fuel vehicles, you know, most of the time if you're tailgating, you'll see this. this is a flex fuel vehicle. In, in, uh, so in Boston, we never we never tailgate in Boston. I don't know what okay. you mean. Uh, we don't do that in New Jersey yeah. either, by the yeah. way. Yeah. We, just hit, we just hit the person in front of us. That's it. Uh, but if you see that, those vehicles receive subsidies when they were brought to market. And those subsidies are definitely disappearing. So, you know, E85 doesn't have much of a future. Now, the interesting thing about ethanol is that, I mean, it's got two things that are really going to be going for it in the next five years or so. Number one, the most recent studies say that it has much less carbon intensity uh, than fossil fuel. Uh, and... Uh, uh, that probably gives it a much better future in countries where they want to reduce the carbon footprint. Uh, the second thing about ethanol to remember is that it's got a very high octane number, probably about 115 or that neighborhood. And the more turbocharged vehicles, high compression engines, the more octane is needed. So it wouldn't surprise me. It's not going to take place this year, but if uh, years from now, Maybe the refiners who want to sell hydrocarbons and the agricultural companies who want to sell ethanol might come together, and you might see uh, a grade of gasoline like an, a 15% ethanol or a 20% ethanol that gets a lot of traction. Uh, and you know, because we will need octane in the next uh, uh, 10 years to get to any real uh, market improvements in uh, fuel efficiency. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize, and I, I had the opportunity to sit down with um, some folks from General Motors during the Detroit Auto Show, and we were talking about this and talking about the idea that, you know, the 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 cars that are running on 87, 91, in some cases 93 octane, for them to be able, for the manufacturers to be able to do their jobs, they need to see this bump in octane to 95-ish or so to really get more fuel efficiency out of the cars, and that's going to take that's going to take legislation to do that. That's not that's not something that just happens through you know some some engineer in a corner. No, it's going to take it's going to take a real cooperative effort, and it's going to take some concessions from the people in hydrocarbons, people in agriculture, the auto manufacturers, the petrochemical people. will all need to come together and say, look, we can get to fifty miles per gallon on these vehicles, but we need a fuel that's going to have 95 and 96 octane. So I don't expect it to be a smooth process, but I, I do believe that there will be billions or tens or even hundreds of billions of dollars uh, at stake. Because, you know, when you come right down to it, refiners want to sell hydrocarbons, and they're not going to give up 5% of their market to ethanol without screaming, kicking, and fighting. Uh, agricultural companies want to sell more ethanol. And uh, they do have a case to be made because of the carbon intensity and the uh, uh, the high octane. But uh, how do you supplant uh, a market that's been there for years and years? And lawmakers have their constituents, and automakers say, you know, we've gone as far as we can go, and uh, we want to. We can make the vehicles, but you need the fuel to run the vehicle. So I guess uh, bottom line is. 
because really all I care about is myself at this point. Am I going to be able to afford to drive to the Cape on the weekends in the summertime? Is gasoline is gasoline going to be in that that two fifty two seventy five a gallon range? Is that what I'm looking at? That is the range that we are predicting for the year two fifty to two seventy five uh, in terms of the top of the market, and we think that in the second half of the year, roughly the last hundred days, you'll see a lot cheaper prices. <clears throat> what you're seeing right now, pardon me, is a little bit of a head fake. Uh, we are going to spring up in prices, but uh, with the crude oil drop and with kind of an overhang of winter gasoline that has to be flushed out of the system, we're seeing kind of shaky prices right now. That will give way. By the time the Red Sox are probably 1 in 5, or 2 in <laughs> 7, or so, I think you'll see much higher gasoline prices. Do I, de- do I detect you're a Yankees or a Mets fan? Jeez. Uh, you may yeah. expect a little bit of a Yankee yeah. bias there. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, we, again, we kind of look at, look at this gasoline. Do you think, do you think part of it is that there are all these boutique fuels all over the country that, you know, it's not just like there's West Coast gas and East Coast gas, but there's, there's almost gas by the county, it seems like. And that, that, that can have an effect in the gas prices too, right? Well, there is a patchwork of different blends, and, 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 you know, you can blame the EPA for it, but uh, the EPA does have an awful lot of masters to serve. Mm. Uh, you know, you could say that the easiest uh, uh, route would be to take the cleanest blend and mandate that throughout the country, uh, but uh, everyone fought that tooth and nail. So I, I don't necessarily expect more boutiques. I mean, the things that you have to watch out in gasoline or sulfur, which has been reduced dramatically, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, vapor pressure, which can really create those ozone problems in the summer. Uh, now, we are dealing with hot temperatures in the last few years, so uh, removing some of that vapor pressure uh, is, is going to be an issue. And, you know, it's a little bit inside baseball to say this, but uh, the elements that uh, create problems for uh, vapor pressure in gasoline and make for a difficulty in manufacturing something that's uh, reasonable in the summer tend to be the cheaper hydrocarbons, mm. things like butane. You know, you associate butane with a lighter or maybe with petrochemicals or hopefully not with Richard Pryor freebasing, <laughs> but butane is uh, a very cheap hydrocarbon that has qualities like gasoline but uh, can create a, a purple haze like Jimi Hendrix in the summertime. Uh, yeah, I suppose I suppose it could do all of those things. If people want more information about uh, about uh, gasoline or oil prices, or to follow you on Twitter, how would they do that? Well, they can follow me on Twitter at, at Tom Closa, T O M K L O Z A. And if you're wondering about the name, it means goat herder. So I come from very aristocratic stock, and uh, we have a website called OpusNet. Dot com, O-P-I-S-N-E-T dot com. The other thing is that people are really intrigued by the way the fuels business works. Uh, there is a think tank that I'm part of because someone made a very, very bad mistake, and it's called the Fuels Institute. And if you go to that website, fuelsinstitute, one word, dot org, uh, you will be able to download free papers on how the distribution system works and what the fleet might look like five or ten years from now. Just curious, how did you become a fuel analyst? Uh, I passed the typing test yeah. uh, for a typist class editor that said I could, and I could type 120 words per minute on an IBM Selectric, and I worked for an oil publishing place, and uh, then moved over from typing into uh, 
uh, commenting and uh, my career took off when I got on TV in the 90s because I have very, very good hair for an old guy. Well, that's that's a great answer. Tom, thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday morning and uh, joining us up here in Boston and, and uh, hit them long and straight. Okay, and I'll go check out those Red Sox. And I understand Big Poppy is uh, making some appearances at the stadium down here, and he's sponsored by CVS and Walgreens, from what I understand. So. <laughs> Sounds like all good stuff. Tom, thanks a lot, and take care yeah. now. Bye-bye. Take care. That was Tom Koza. He is the... Well, I guess self-described dean of, because I took it off his website, self-described dean of U.S. oil analysts. Uh, I was on a conference call with him yesterday with a bunch of AAA people. A lot of interesting stuff came out of it. Uh, it's always it's always kind of a, a fun guy to listen to because he, he does throw in these, um, well, who knows, maybe he will get a date with Penelope Cruz or... Tom Cruise or some Cruise, I don't know, one or, one or the other. We need to take a break. And if you're wondering if things seem a little uneven today, it's because I'm running the board. I figured after 25 years of this nonsense, maybe I'd try it myself and, and see, if I could, see if I could figure it out. So I'm going to give that a try. We'll be right back. Need tires? The Sullivan Tire tradition of giving New England great value continues with the biggest tire event of the year. All of our tires are on sale. If you need tires, don't wait. Every tire we stock is on sale now. You can save even more with mail-in rebates on select brands. But hurry, this sale is only till the end of the month, and it's only at Sullivan Tire. You won't find a better place to buy tires, and we will not be beat on price. Come in today. Go Sox! Visit SullivanTire.com for details. Don't you just hate the hassle of car buying? Make it easy by finding your financing first. Hi, I'm Kevin Chapman. As a member of the City of Boston Credit Union for over two decades, I know that they always put their members first with some of the most competitive car rates around. You can figure out what you want to spend before you even go shopping. Come visit the City of Boston Credit Union at cityofbostoncu.com and apply today. Or call 617-635-4545. City of Boston Credit Union. Uniquely Boston. Equal Opportunity Lender. Honda Cars of Boston is Greater Boston's neighborhood Honda dealer with over 800 new Hondas available to choose from. Just five minutes from Boston on Route 99 in Everett, our beautiful new showroom makes your Honda Cars of Boston experience even better. Visit online at hondacarsofboston.com and see all of our tremendous purchase, lease, finance, and certified pre-owned specials. Honda Cars of Boston on Route 99 in Everett is the place for great buys from the Honda guys. Give them a call at 1-800-65-HONDA. WROL Boston. You're listening to The Car Doctor. Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand, sometimes you turn your back to the wind. 
And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems. If you would like to join us, and I wish you would, it's 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. That's how you get through and talk to us about your car and your car problems. I'd love to hear from you on this cold day. Um, I've been testing out a device that I put in a car, and it's actually sort of a vehicle tracker, and it's called CarLock. And um, it's pretty interesting because the way it works is it will um, tell you where your car is at any given time and then tell you how it's being driven. So whether it's um, hard braking, hard acceleration, if it got into a crash, if somebody took it without your permission, I'm not sure how it actually does that. Um, but I put it in my car, and my wife's been driving it, and, and it kind of says where she went and how she drives. And from 0 to 100, as far as being a good driver, it rated her as 100, so she drives very reasonably. And But although it seems to be affected by cold weather because I got an alert at um, know, 3 o'clock in the morning, I think, that said, hmm... Your car, your car lock has been disabled. Well, I think it was disabled because it was so cold outside. And then the other day it had something about a, a, a hard swerve or something, which was sort of unusual that it popped up with that too. So it was just, but it's sort of an interesting, sort of an interesting device on how it works. And, um, and I was a little bit intrigued by it. If you're thinking about buying a new Hyundai Sonata, it looks like Hyundai is, um, counting on a freshened-up Sonata to try to reverse some sales. And I don't know why the sales are off, because it is the Sonata is an awfully nice car. Hyundai Motor Company is counting on a redesigned Sonata to reverse a fall in sales in that model, struggling to stand out in the shrinking midsize sedan segment. I don't know why it's shrinking either, because um, I think it's just become competitive. The new Sonata will take on Toyota Motor Company's remodeled Camry, which actually looks really nice. They did a really good job with that when I started the Detroit Auto Show. But right now, and a little bit of what Tom was saying, is cars are losing favor to SUVs and crossovers because of the relatively low prices. Now, we also heard from him that we'll probably see an average of somewhere between 225 and 275 per gallon, uh, sort of in a year-on-year average. So we'll have to wait and see if that has any real effect in what's going on but they um i guess uh it's uh styling received some mixed reviews especially in its uh, conservative home market in south korea but the latest version hyundai motors changed the sheet metal in an unusual move to in a mid-cycle refresh it's also given a more sporty look with a curved hood bigger grill uh, hyundai's next generation sonata will take cues from the redesigned version hyundai is working on a next generation cars with different flair for marketing we'll have to see what's really going to go on with that and 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 how it how it really turns out speaking of cars if you want to buy one a car to buy is the uh the chevy ss sedan if you've never had an opportunity to drive one you should uh you should go and take a look for it. Why? Because it is a 415-horsepower um, rear-wheel drive V8, and uh, it's available with a six-speed manual transmission, and you don't see a lot of six-speed manual transmission. And it also comes with um, magnetic ride control, which is the same sort of system that is used in some of GM SUVs as well as the Corvette. And um, 
the whole idea it's it's really um, it's really a great car and for fifty thousand dollars and time's running out according to uh, GM authority Chevrolet is set to close the order books on this Australian bits uh, built sedan in uh, you know, anytime soon. So, if uh, it might be just around now to think about if you if you can still get one. So, uh, this is sort of your last warning. If you want an SS, you better uh, order one now. Go down to your local dealer and see and see what's going on and and see what they have and see if you can buy one. Uh, people are getting longer car loans. Car buyers are using longer term loans with increasing frequency to lower their monthly payments. Consumers continue to use longer loans to reduce costs of monthly payments when they purchase a new vehicle, with almost one-third opting for loans between six and seven years. That's a long time to pay a car loan off. Um, it used to be that, I remember, you know, it used to be two or three years was typical. And part of the reason behind that was, in my opinion, was the three-year car loan. What happened was, um, at the end of three years, you know, and people would hold on to their cars for five, six, seven years or so. But at the end of three years, you started to see some repairs popping up. And it wasn't just maintenance. You were starting to see, you know, some serious repairs, things like, you know, brakes, a full set of tires, um, maybe suspension, shocks and struts. So you could easily spend $1,000 at a pop, which kind of made up for, you know, when you had to do that on top of a car loan. Now, what we're seeing is cars are lasting longer, parts are lasting longer, sort of, on some cases. So, uh, you know, maybe the idea of a six- or seven-year car loan is okay. Eh, just not something I want to do. But um, Experian, uh, in its latest report on the state of automotive finance, also found the average loan amount of a new vehicle reached a high of $30,631 in the fourth quarter. The average loan amount for a used vehicle also reached record levels, uh, jumping from 18850 to just about $19,400 in the fourth quarter. So people are drive, you know, driving used cars, driving new cars, but they're financing more and more. Um, Total open automotive loan balances reached a high of any guess in how much how much financing there is in car loans. I read this number yesterday and I was amazed by it. It's one point zero seven two trillion dollars in the fourth quarter of two thousand sixteen. That's up from nine hundred and eighty seven billion dollars in the same period in two thousand fifteen, but the growth in loan balances has slowed slightly, according to the report. The report also showed a number of consumers opting for auto loans with terms of 73 to 84 months on their new vehicles. That increased almost 30% in the fourth quarter. Um, so, you know, that's a that's a big number. 84-month loans? Whew, that's a long, that's a long time. Well, there's been this whole issue with Honda airbags. And Honda airbags, the first-generation airbags, um, there has been there has been a big push to try to get them those cars uh, that are part of this original airbag issue taken care of and the models in question and we'll get to them in a minute are what they're they're the first airbag inflators and the, it was the first time the company used ammonium nitrate without this drying agent and the drying agent was the stuff that keeps the moisture out once the ammonium nitrate got wet well bad things would happen and uh, became destabilized and explodes when so instead of deploying in a regular control fashion it literally exploded so 
these uh, dangerous airbags have been linked to about 16 deaths around the world and well over 100 injuries. They also spawned the largest automotive recall in history. Of the 16 deaths, 10 occurred with Honda vehicles, 8 of which were equipped with what they call the Alpha Inflators. In tests conducted by uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Alpha Inflators ruptured airbags upon deployment about half the time. Honda describes this as potentially very dangerous, yes. The good news is roughly three-quarters of the Honda and Acura vehicles equipped with these airbag inflators have been repaired. However, there's still 25%, 26% that haven't been. So Honda announced a beefed-up two-part plan. And this is this is how serious they are. Part one of the plan involves the creation of a new task force. The 113 members of the force will be literally boots on the ground in the communities where concentrations of these vehicles remain the highest. They'll launch programs involving outreach through trusted community organizations, seeking the support of local leaders, and door-to-door canvassing in neighborhoods. Those 113 employees are in addition to the 100 Honda staffers who are already tasked with trying to contact the people by phone. Part two, the Honda plan involves a rollout of a digital personal assistant dubbed Ask Dave by Honda. It uses technology from IBM's Watson cognitive system to answer owners' questions, help them schedule service on their vehicles. Ask Dave is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at uh, recallshonda.com and recallsaccurate.com. the cars in question are 2001 to 2002 Honda Accord, 2001 to 2002 Honda Civic, 2002 Honda CRV, 2002 Honda Odyssey, 2003 Honda Pilot, 2003 Acura CL, and 2002 to 2003 Honda TL. If you own one of these vehicles, you can verify that it's affected by the Takata recall, recall by visiting the Honda or Acura recall website and running a search with your vehicle identification number, or VIN. Above all, Honda wants to remind owners of the importance of getting this taken care of. So it's really something, if you own one of these cars, a 2001 or 2002 Honda Accord, 2001 or 2002 Civic, a 2002 CRV, a Honda Odyssey in 2002, a 2003 Pilot, a 2003 Acura CL, or a 2002 and 2003 Acura TL, you want to get this taken care of because there is a 50-50 chance if you get into a crash with this old airbag in there, it's going to explode rather than deploy the airbag the way it's supposed to it's done for free just go to your honda or acura dealer bring it in there i'm willing to bet with these cars even if they don't have the parts in stock they will probably give you a loaner car at the same time i don't know that that's a guarantee but if you own one of these get it taken care of if you own a car that's involved in the recall and it's a later model car, 2010, 2011, the chances are much, much less that anything bad is going to happen. But these early ones, especially if you live here in New England where it can where it can get humid, these are areas where you want to make sure you get the car taken care of because this can be, this can be a very serious issue. And, uh, and, again, about a 50-50 chance. So there's not many things in life that's a 50-50 chance, and this is a bad one. So get it, get it taken care of. And you can find out more information about it if you just go to HondaRecalls.com or AccuraRecalls.com. And they can let you know or check with your local Honda dealer or go on the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration website where now they have this VIN number search, which I guess is technically VI number search, vehicle identification number. And you can put in the, your uh, 70-digit number and you can find out if your car has been recalled and if it's been repaired. 
Well, I want to talk about the car that got me here today, and that is the all-new Kia Nero. And you may have seen commercials for it on television. I've, I've seen a few. Um, they want to call it an SUV. I want to call it a station wagon. I think it's a station wagon. But it's um, they're going to call it an SUV. To me, an SUV is an SUV when it has what? All-wheel drive. This doesn't. But the all-new Kia Nero is a hybrid-powered wagon. It's powered by a 1.6-liter four-cylinder engine, and it's coupled with a 43-horsepower electric motor. The combination produces a total of about 140 horsepower. Not bad. The Nero uses a six-speed dual-clutch transmission connected to the front wheels. All-wheel drive currently is not offered. Um, But it's this combination of torque from the electric motor... Uh, and, you know, on tap, almost 140 horsepower. I think it's technically 139. In the six-speed dual-clutch transmission, what's that mean? It's really a manual transmission with two clutch systems, so there's always going to be a gear ready to go, so there's no clutch pedal. It shifts just like an automatic, but a little bit firmer, and I think a little bit more controlled and takes more advantage of this combination of electric-hybrid drivetrain. Performance is um, peppy. I wouldn't call it fast, but it's certainly more than sufficient for everyday driving, getting up to highway speeds, passing slow-moving vehicles. I have driven it, uh, you know, back and forth to work a couple days, certainly down, you know, 495 and 95 and 24 and 128. You know, it performed extremely well. Uh, fuel economy is outstanding. With my test drive averaging about 41 miles per gallon, it does better out in the, it does better out on city roads than it does on highway roads. We'll get to that in a minute. Handling is pretty good, and the ride's comfortable. Steering's direct, responsive. Overall, the Nero's enjoyable to drive around town or highway speeds. The interior is uh, pleasant and comfortable for a smaller car. It has great use of interior space. Uh, Front seats are comfortable. It feels kind of smaller than a midsize vehicle, bigger than a compact vehicle, sort of in that range, kind of in in between range, I would say. even with the front seat all the way back, I can still fit in the back seat. It's a little tight, but, you know, my knees aren't right up against the seat, but I can sit in the back seat. It has decent storage because it is, I'm going to call it a wagon. They're going to call it an SUV, but, you know, it, it is. Um, it also sits up slightly higher than most sedans or wagons would, so it allows for easy entry and exit. The controls are simple and straightforward, uh, minimizing distraction when driving. I like the idea it has a tuner knob for the radio, a volume knob for the radio, knobs for the heater and air conditioner system so you can turn them up and down by by feel, basically. You don't have to look over at some uh, display screen, which makes it kind of nice. Um, but a very pleasant car to drive, certainly. Uh, the controls, like I said, easy to use. The, the The Nero really competes with the best small wagons. It just happens to be a fuel-efficient hybrid. So it's not just I, – I, they, they talk about it being a hybrid, but it's almost, to me, this is the future where you just go buy a car and don't really think about what's under the hood. This one happens to be a hybrid. You don't plug it in. It's not a plug-in hybrid. But it's this combination of electric motor and gasoline engine. And like when we are talking to Tom Closa um, – you know, gasoline consumption up, down, where is it going to be? Cars like this cause the consumption to go down. EPA says 46 miles in the city, 40 miles on the highway. Like I, like I said, I um, refilled the tank last night and measured both the mileage off the electronic display and using my poor basic math skills, ended up with about the same, right around 41 miles per gallon. This is the touring model. 
which also has uh, additional electronics in it. Uh, it has uh, collision warning, so in case you don't step on the brake fast enough, it re- tells you to blind spot monitors, all that sort of electronic wizardry in it. Um, the price as tested, $32,445, I would assume, because it's got a great big electric motor in it. It's probably uh, eligible for some uh, energy rebates. So... Uh, Again, $34,445. If you're, if you've, one of those people has said, you know, I really miss my small wagon. I had a, I had an Acura wagon. I had a, you know, focus wagon. I had a, some sort of small wagon that wasn't an SUV that um, I enjoyed. I could put my dog in the back. I could put my stuff in the back. I could put my art supplies in the back. I could put my, you know, whatever people carry around in the back of their car. And you say, you know, hatchbacks just don't do it for me. This might, this is, this is, I think, a pretty good alternative. And again, that 40 miles per gallon, almost 50 miles per gallon around town just makes it that much better. So um, the new Kia Nero, it is just, it might just be out now, uh, but uh, it's a, a great vehicle and certainly worth taking a look at. Which leads us to our trivia question. Because I've been trying to tie the trivia questions in with the car reviews because it gives me some ideas. Music. Oh. I wasn't ready yet. Oh. <laughs> Karen saying to me, "Play the music, play the music." I wasn't ready yet. See, I'm trying, I'm trying to, trying to figure a few things out here. So, you know, you know, someday Karen might get a flat tire on the way here or something. And and besides, I've always, I've always said after all this, I've always sat on the other side of the control board. So, you know, maybe I, maybe I should learn how. So again, my my trivia question is tied into. The um, the cars that I've been driving, so I've been trying to been trying to tie those together to try to try to make it work. So our trivia question is: I think it's a fairly simple one. What was the first Kia model sold in the U.S.? What was the first Kia model sold in the U.S.? If you know the answer to that, give us a call at six one seven. 770-3030-617-770-3030, and you'll get a prize of some sort. And uh, Peter from the Edsel Club, who's still waiting for his AAA membership, we're working on it. So that's about all I can tell you. We're still working on it. I don't know what's taking so long, but there's a lot of things going on apparently, but we're working on it. So we will be able to get you that. If you have an answer to trivia, which is... What was the first Kia model sold in the U.S.? Give us a call at 617-770-3030. If uh, you have a question about your car, 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us about your car, your car problems, and some other news that you may have that you would like to share with us. We always love to hear from people and see what they have on their mind about the car industry and car repairs and whatever else. Uh, if you haven't read The Globe today, uh, our buddy Clifford Atia wrote about a new Land Rover, uh, Range Rover LR4, I think. I think that was the model designation. And haven't seen Cliff Atia's name in the Boston Globe in a little while. Good to see him in The Globe. So, and... Uh, also, my Q&A column, where I also mentioned Land Rovers, as well as some other vehicles. Somebody wrote into me, and they said they're looking for a luxury SUV, and they're looking for a luxury SUV that's a little bit alternative fuel. And I, I think my couple of choices were Lexus RX 
450h so hybrid lexus suv really nice car and also the diesel uh range rover um so full range rover all the luxury you get with the range rover but in the six-cylinder diesel version uh pretty good choices there as well so a couple of things to go with again our trivia question what was the first model of kia sold here in the u.s if you know the answer give us a call at 617 770 3030 and uh, we will give you something. We'll give you some kind of prize. I don't know exactly what it will be yet, but we'll give you some sort of prize to see to see what it is. So, but let's try Karen. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. Good morning, Doctor Paul. <laughs> yeah, uh, John Paul. Okay, so uh, we've had three Kias, and uh, I'm going to say, this is a guess, Rio? That would be unfortunately wrong. I'm uh, sorry. I know what it is. I, you, <laughs> you know what it is? Do you, think, do you think you really know what it is? Spectra? So close, so close, but unfortunately... That's the only kind we bought. Unfortunately, wrong. Okay. Oh, I hit the wrong one. There's one. Oh, there we go. All right. There we go. All right. Okay, but now I have a soul. So you that, know, how do you how do you like your, how do you like your soul? Um, we've had it since 2013, and mm-hmm. I, I just like the way you know you can, um, you know, see out of it. it's nice and square yep. for mm-hmm. backing up. Um, it's a little bit um, hard to back up as far as I think they haven't. Uh, you know, just when I'm doing the mm-hmm. angle parking, yep. it's a little bit blinded there. That's the only thing. You mm. know, I mean. But it's it's great little zip around. No, they're the room. No, they're and great cars. I remember. I think I drove one in probably about the same year as yours, two thousand thirteen or fourteen. And then I had I had the ability to drive the electric Soul, which was actually that was, you could go about a hundred miles on charges. That was actually that was actually a really nice car to drive. And I'm surprised they don't sell more of them. I mean, it does have that hundred mile range limitation, but. But uh, but pretty good, no, no matter what. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've had three. I don't know if it's time to change, but, <laughs> you know, we've the warranties are good. And yep. So no. we kind of stick with it. And it had a lot of headroom, too, in the hole. Yeah, no, so no like they're, 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 they're good cars. They're good cars, and I think for somebody who wants something that's practical, like you said, it's a little little boxy. You sit up high. It's got good visibility. You can mm-hmm. carry around stuff in it. I think it's a good choice. So. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you didn't win, okay. especially being a three-time, three-three-time uh, Kia owner. But you know that's the way it goes. I know. Okay, I know. we'll catch up with All you right. later. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye now. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to Steve. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I think I have an answer to that question. Is it Kia Cadenza? No. No, it you know, and uh, it's there we go. Um, no, it's not the Cadenza, and I, now I'm just going by. Uh, I'm just going by. I think uh, Kia's website, so I'm I'm going to believe they're right. So, uh, but it is not the well, Cadenza. Are. All right. Well, okay. bye, but in any event, right. have a pleasant. Week. All right, you as well. Take care. Bye, bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Well, we know it's not the Cadenza. We know it's not. The Spectra. So, what was it? What was the first Kia model sold in the U.S.? And it was in 19... 
94 is when they first started to sell this model. And then by 1995, we started to see it mostly all around the country. And uh, I think by 1995, they actually sold about 25,000 of these cars. So what was it? What was the first? And it's, uh, and it's a car that's a little bit... A little bit, hard, I don't want to say hard to pronounce the name, but it, it confused me when I first saw it. So 617-770-3030, You've probably heard there's been some issues with Chrysler and its rotary dial shifter as well. Uh, after shifting a rotary dial shifter in some of its vehicles, Fiat uh, Chrysler may now shift back. It says, with several other automakers, FCA was hammered last week in Consumer Reports' annual auto brand ranking with the automatic transmission gear selectors. Now FCA says it's taking another look at the devices. Uh, Consumer Reports docked the scores of 50 vehicles from several brands because of the dial shifters that can be confused with other controls or lack measures to prevent rollaways. FCA introduced the rotary shifters in 2013 on the Ram 1500 pickups. Later on the uh, Chrysler 200, 300, and Pacifica, the company released a statement after being called out by the magazine. FCA U.S. acknowledges the observation consumer reports and it's reviewing the shifter strategy the company said. Um, I like the rotary shifter just fine. Where, what I didn't like was the toggle style shifter that Chrysler was using which I found um, awkward to use because I, I'll admit when I'm shifting from reverse to drive I don't always put my foot on the brake. I back, you know, back out in reverse and just click the shifter into drive and drive away. Well, the the other style shifter that looked like a conventional shifter handle, you had to back up, step on the brake. Again, safety issue. Put the car in drive and then drive away. The problem is not all of us do that, and it would be in neutral. You'd go, well, what did I do? I just did it. What's going on? So you'd have to step on the brake, put it in neutral, put it back in drive. So I actually kind of liked the rotary shifter. I actually thought it was pretty good, but not for everyone, I guess. So uh, let's try trivia again. Let's try Kevin. Kevin? Yes, good morning, John. Good morning. Um, I thought I had the answer in place that the name was kind of hard to pronounce. I was going to guess a Kia Sportage. That would be the second vehicle, but okay. not but not the first. Okay, um, but, but I guess it, I guess it would be hard to pronounce if you pronounce it as Sportage. Uh, yeah, like Tajé. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Same but, idea. Um, Same idea. Okay, great show. Love learning. Right. I got to go because I'm uh, at work. All right. Well, good for you. Okay, take care. Bye bye now. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's try Michael. Mike. Mike? Hello, Doctor. Hello, uh, Doctor Paul. How are you, sir? Good. Before I get to my answer, I got a quick, quick question. Sure. There's something wrong with my, um, my muffler. Someone says I need a new one, but I think it's just exhausted. Get it? I do. I do. Oh, your muffler. Your muffler wasn't worn out. It's just exhausted. Exhausted. Well, that's worth half a gift. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take this is totally off the wall. Is it an Elantra? No, that was a Hyundai. Oh, see, I picked up those very Yeah, see, I mean, they're, they're all related. Hyundai, Kia, they're, they're actually, uh, Kia actually went bankrupt, and they were saved by Hyundai, which was also going bankrupt. And now I think both companies, both companies, their automobile side, I don't know how they're actually doing 
physically, but it's the rest of the company that I mean, Hyundai. Hyundai is a gigantic company that builds everything from ships to computers to they're in the textile business. So there's a there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that they do. So uh, keeps them all going. But no, not the Elantra. And uh, good joke with uh, again. My muffler, my muffler's worn out. No, it was just exhausted. Exhausted. Thank you. Good Thank try. You, All right, take care. <laughs> bye bye now. Bye bye. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. Let's go to Alan, I believe. Alan, is that you? It is. Good morning. Good morning. I think uh, I think it was the Cephia. Which which I think it's I think you're supposed to pronounce it Sophia. Ah, I th- I th- S- yeah, E T H. Yeah, but it's pronounced, but it's but it's spelled S E P H I A. But I believe, I believe they pronounce it Sophia. So you, in fact, did win. So um, yeah, that that was uh, back in 1992. Kia Motors America was incorporated in the United States. The first Kia branded vehicles in the United States were sold in four dealerships in Portland, Oregon, and. Uh, and then Kia methodically expanded one region at a time, and uh, the first vehicle they sold was the Sophia, and then with the addition of the Sportage, and then they started. They had dealerships all over the place, and and what I was what I was uh, talking with Mike earlier, it said, however, the Asian financial crisis, Kia declared bankruptcy in '97, and in '98 reached an agreement with the Hyundai to diversify by exchanging ownership between both companies. Hyundai Motor acquired 51% of the company, outbidding Ford, and had owned interest in Kia since they... Ford actually owned a piece of Kia back in 86. And after uh, some divestments, uh, Hyundai Motor Company owns about one-third of Kia now. And they're actually they're actually interesting. They share a lot of stuff, but they're truly competitors with each other, too. So, um, so uh, but no, good, good job with uh, Sophia or Sophia or however you pronounce it, because I don't really know. But stay right there, and Karen will take your uh, name and address down. We'll send you out a prize, okay? Okay. All right, thank you. So Karen will take care of that, and I'll take care of whatever I have to do. We'll let, we'll let Karen get caught up. Speaking of Kia, there's a hot new Kia coming out. It's called the Kia Stinger. It's a luxury hatchback. It was the hit of the Detroit Auto Show. It really was. And what's kind of interesting about the Detroit Auto Show, you can sneak around, and they had it all covered over. Um, and uh, they were they were sort of dusting it off. So they they had to pull half. They had to pull the cover off for it. So I went over and I was watching them, and they pulled the front cover off. So I took a picture of it, and then they they covered over the front, and then uncovered the back so i got a whole glimpse of the car before anybody else did um it's overseen it's overseen by uh, a kind of a german but it has italian influence according to hyundai motor company's president and chief design officer i had a sports car on my mind for years it was almost a dream for me they had hoped to i had hoped to use a real world drive layout for the car because you can get uh, completely different proportions that way um moved from kia to volkswagen in 06 um in 1970, you had fantastic Gran Turismo models from Maserati. That I, apparently that was some of the inspiration for the car. The Kia Stinger is, uh, according to this, shown to evoke a 1970s sort of Italian feel to it. I don't know if it quite does that, but uh, it does a few things. So, but it's a it's a great looking car. Let's go to let's go to where are we going here? Let's go to George. 
George, good morning. Yes, George? Good morning. Um, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to make more of an observation. Okay. Um, last week I had the spark plugs replaced on my wife's 2008 Toyota Highlander. All right. Which had 116,000. It says, uh, you know, manual to do it at 120. So I asked the mechanic, you know, I wanted to see the old spark plugs. Now, the thing I was amazed is they all looked brand new, but the vehicle's getting a lot better gas mileage. Yeah, because they probably weren't, well, we'll assume, right. well, even though they look brand new, um, they could have been, the gap could have grown a little with age. Mm-hmm. And that certainly is going to cause a very, very slight misfiring, which could be part of it. So that could be that could be part of it as well. So um, you know, it, it is one of the it is one of those things that that you know you you do periodically. Now you you said it was um, you said it was how many miles on it? It has a hundred sixteen and a Toyota, and um, you know you go to the owner's manual, it says one twenty. So you oh, were, I did it at one sixteen. So you're a little you're a little ahead of the curve, which is always good. Did right. they did they run into any problems at all when they were doing it? Everything came out. Um, no, I mean, uh, of course, the I know the rear spark plugs are a pain to do. The only thing they had to put was um, two of the boots were cracked, so they put three of the new boots in the back. Yeah, it 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 always, especially the ones in the back, because like you said, they are a little bit a little bit. Uh, Nasty to get to. In fact, um, I think flat rate time, they give a, a good technician three or three and a half hours to replace the spark plugs in the car. And you kind yeah. of think, how, how can that possibly be? Well, it can possibly be because it, it's, a pain, it's a pain to do. Yeah, they have to put a new intake gasket and everything. And Yeah, because they have to take the intake manifold off. and Yeah, yeah it turns, yeah. In, turns into a big job. So like you said, you took the spark plugs out. The plugs look. The plugs didn't look bad, but the fuel economy got better. The other, yeah. the other thing, and this is, could be total nonsense or not, is because you got the car tuned up, you're driving it a little bit different, and maybe you're mm-hmm. not. Maybe you're not. You know, because of that, maybe you're being a little bit easier on it, and that's where your fuel economy is coming in. That's true too. Yeah, and uh, well, the looking at the spark plugs, I'm used to. Uh, you know, these are iridium plugs. I remember before when you take out plugs at thirty thousand miles, sometimes the electrodes, everything was gone, and that's what my surprise was. Yeah, no, the, these new plugs. You know, I think they're they're made out of diamonds or something. I don't know what they're made out of. Yeah, but they, they hold up pretty well. But you're right; it wasn't unusual to take a spark plug out. You know, in, and let's go way back in time. Let's you know go back yeah. to the '60s and '70s. Take a spark plug out. The electrode would be melted off, which the you know plug was running too hot, or the gap would be so wide. You know, back then spark plugs. You know, they you know you were lucky for a, a point ignition system to jump at thirty thousandths uh, of an inch uh, spark plug gap, and now with the electronic ignition, they can jump. You know, literally jump you know, half an inch. So, uh, you know, you, you look at these plugs and you go, well, yeah, the gap is off. And, you know, even though it's a little tiny center electrode, uh, you, you know, there's still, it still needs to have a certain setting for it. And, uh, you know, even uh, the the good technicians out there, even though you don't necessarily gap these new plugs, you still look at them just to make sure nothing's, you know, nobody dropped one when they were making them at the factory or something. So give them a good look, make right. sure they're set right and off you go. Well, thank you so much right. for taking my call and let me share my opinion. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah. Keep yeah. calling anytime. Bye-bye.
617-770-3030. Let's talk to Rick. Rick? Hey there. Hey How there. Am I doing okay? Yeah, you're doing okay, Annette. And you're commenting about a uh, small uh, wagon. You know, mm-hmm. I had, had a little, had a Vega wagon. That was a neat little car to have around. <sighs> Did you have to put a head gasket in it? Uh, no. Really? And I'll tell you, it had one tough transmission. Um, I was driving in the wintertime one time and um, accidentally hit the shifter and put it in reverse doing 60 miles an hour. need to say it stalled the engine out, but um, <laughs> I was able to drive home. Um, so at what point did you decide that was not a good thing to do was to put the car in reverse at 60 miles an hour? When the police officer came up to my window. That that I can see how that would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, no, uh, it was, I, I was reaching for a towel so because it was winter time, just fogging up to wipe oh, off yeah. the window. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And and um, I accidentally hit it, and the, and the lock was broken. I didn't realize it. Hmm. And, it, and, uh, and that uh, that that had to be pretty exciting. I have a I have a question for you. You're you're a retired guy now. Yeah. And this is uh, Daytona Bike Week, almost. Yep. How come you're not there? Uh, one, um, I'm doing stuff with my family up here. In oh, Texas. well, that, that's, a, that's a good reason. But you know, I figured I figured you had this flexibility of being retired. Now you could you could travel you could travel the world whenever you wanted, and you know you could you could you could be escaping the what was 12 degrees when I left my house this morning. Yeah, well, I, I haven't left my house. <laughs> now here's a question for you. Okay, what's the difference between the Interstate and the U.S. highway system. The interstate and the U.S. highway system. I should know this, but I'm going to say I don't. Go ahead, tell me. I don't. Oh, okay. I, I, I was just driving around, you know, because we just came back from a road trip uh, a couple of weeks ago, and um, you know, some of the roads around were interstate, some of the roads around were U.S. highways. Different signs, and that, hmm. but uh, all, all you know, U.S. government rules and that. So, um, yeah, I, guess, I, I, I think guess would be the would be that the uh, U.S. highway system was pre-World War II and the interstate was post-World War II and based on moving military forces around the country. But hmm. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't honestly know either, and I would say that maybe, um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I know that, you know, I know that... The way routes are numbered, you know, they'll, you know, even even numbers go one way, odd numbers go, you know, north and south, even numbers go um, east and west. East and west. Uh, yeah. But uh, the difference in terminology, I'm not sure. But now you now you gave me homework. Well, and that uh, I wasn't out to stump the professor, but um, also I, I do know that uh, highways were originally numbered starting in the northeast at one. And going down to 100 in the southwest, and then when he did the interstate, they just did it reverse to avoid confusion. So um, things were so simple then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rick, always a pleasure. Okay, Dan. All right, take one. care. You too. Bye bye. I like talking to Rick because uh, he used to. He used to. For people who don't know, Rick used to. Rick was always Rick from Boston, and he used to call in. And, and sometimes he'd call in and only talk to you know Karen or Marita or, or, or even back when Dennis and, in fact, even Len. Um, he you know always always a, a, a good friend of the program, but he always used to call in from work. So he'd sneak away and he'd 
you know, dictate a phone call or a message to whoever was answering the phone. And occasionally when he had a day off or he had a break, he would call into the show. But now he's now he's retired so he can spend time with his family and travel and do all kinds of good stuff. And and an avid motorcycle rider and uh, and rides a lot. And I bet if the roads were clear, even in this cold temperatures, he might even go out for a ride. Let's take one more call before we take a break. Let's talk to Robert. Robert. Come on, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, yeah, you mentioned something about rotary uh, shifters on the course. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, is there an actual problem, or is it just people not knowing how to use it? Uh, you could, that would be the second one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah what happens say. is people... You know, people do funny things. Like, you know, you get out of your car, sometimes you turn the radio down. Well, you know, people get out of the car and they turn the radio down instead of putting the shifter into park. Right. You know, they're both they're both round knobs, and people just grab it, turn it, and don't think anything of it. And I think, you know, part of all of this was the um, the 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 guy in the Star Trek movie, the guy that played Chekhov, or, I think. And I could have the wrong I could have the wrong guy, but he got out of his he got out of his car his jeep in California, oh, didn't, yeah. yeah didn't put it in park and the thing ran him over. Yeah, exactly. I know you know I've had a rotary dial for two years and it's fine you now. And yep. I had my Silverado had it for the transfer case. And that yep. Was, but I noticed you have to have your foot on the brake, or right. even if the the uh, dial turns and the numbers of the letters change, it actually doesn't. It doesn't, yeah. You have to have the brake on, so it will actually go into a... I found that, you know, when you're getting out of a car wash, that's, that was the problem. Mm. You know, if you're not on the brake, it's not going to go into drive. Right. you got to tap the brake momentarily yep. to get into drive before the rollers come around and start lifting the vehicle up. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there is even yeah. In some cars, there's actually even a a, a car wash mode, which is um, which is which which is kind of odd that there there is such a thing, but there is actually a car wash mode, and it's um and it's for just you know just that just that kind of reason because um some cars when you step out of when you get off the seat it automatically goes back and park. Well, what happens when you get off the seat in a car and you have to leave it in neutral? And yeah. you you want to have it go through the car wash. Now all of a sudden it goes back in the park. Uh, well, that would be interesting. Yeah, it doesn't like that. So yeah, so there is a, there is a special mode for that. And even and that's in a lot of different cars. Everything from some more inexpensive cars to expensive cars like the the Tesla does that. And even to the point where I know somebody who um, his uh, his friend is shorter, and she goes to she goes when she backs up, she kind of lifts herself up off the seat. To look backwards, and when she does, the car goes back in the park. It's pretty. It's pretty entertaining, actually. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, but it could be expensive when things start breaking. Well, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, you know, it's a Tesla, so you got plenty of money. Yeah, I guess. Okay. Okay. Thanks, John. Okay. See you, Bob. Bye, bye. Uh, our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven. 770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us about your car, your car problems, whatever you have on your mind. I think we're going to take a break and pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Austin. Just good people. Uh, well, there is, and I and I saw this. I saw something like this the other the other night on the news. But there is a 
Magna, which is a big, huge company, is developing self-charging for electric fuel cell. Uh, it's kind of a combination vehicle, but electric cars can take time to recharge, and hydrogen fuel cell vehicles are still tough to come by. So this southern Canadian supplier, Magna International, developed what is described as a solution to the zero-emissions conundrum to combine both in one vehicle, the fuel cell extended range electric concept built by a subsidiary in Austria is a D-Badge Mercedes microvan or minivan packaging smaller than the average fuel cell to recharge the battery on its move. The solution is a stopgap until such time when long-range electric cars can speed up and recharge or a proper hydrogen refueling network is built. There's a big potential for this type of vehicle in the near future, according to the head of the alternative production system for Magna. Uh, said on the sidelines of the Geneva Auto Show. Um, but lacking time to recharge, uh, it, you know, that can be an issue. So the fuel cell stack is rated at 30 kilowatts. Uh, but because of the way it works, it's smaller than standard. It works as a battery recharger rather than a primary power source. So it's cheaper than the standard stack. It's still too expensive, however, according to what they're saying. Um, but also I saw something on the news the other day about wireless recharging and it showed uh, the one the thing I saw showed uh, I think it might have been on Chronicle or Channel Five News or something, but it showed simple things like a little box that uh, you drop your hearing aid into and it charges up your hearing aid. You drop your phone into it, it charges up your phone, and to the point where you pull your electric car into your garage or into your driveway and you pull it over this little platform thing and it charges up your electric car. So. I think electric cars are good. I think their one their one problem with electric cars is that they're um you still you still need to plug them in, which is fine, but they're almost they almost want to be in garages. That seems to be the thing. They you know the idea that you can get, you know get out of your car where it's nice and dry and plug in your electric car or have this platform, this little mat, welcome mat that you drive over um and that charges up the car. Let's see. Do we still have Boyd on the phone? Let's take a look. Yeah. Boyd, are you still there? Yeah, JJ. Good morning. Good morning. I kind of forgot about you. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> oh, okay. It's probably uh, not the first, I hung in there. Probably not the yeah, first time in your life. Right? I, missed, I missed the trivia answer. Oh, the trivia answer was um, the first Kia sold in the United States was the Kia Sophia. Even though it's pronounced, even though it's spelled S E P H I A, I believe it was. Uh, pronounced like Sophia Loren. I see. Yeah. If you're mm. old, if you're old enough to know who Sophia Loren is. Uh, I am. Uh, yeah. Karen, do you know who uh, Sophia Loren is? That's a good name, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I had a question for. I had yeah. a question for you. Yeah, I just said to yeah. Karen. I just said to Karen, do you know who Sophia Loren is? And she said, I've heard of her. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's tough. Her. It's tough to be young. Yeah. Well. I hear she sleeps about sixteen hours a day. So really, she trying to maintain those good sleep, looks. Sleep sixteen hours a day, huh? Well, well, well actually, the truth. What I read was that she she gets up early, does exercises, and has for many years. You know, does a real thing there and takes good care of herself. Then she goes back to sleep. Well, I guess. I guess. Yeah, all stuff. Yeah. I all stuff. I don't need to know. Uh, exactly. So, what was your question? Okay, you know, um, just out of curiosity. Um, you know one of the little great um, products that have been around forever, uh, mystery oil? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, some of them, um, over the years, every one of the mechanics I've known seemed to like this stuff. Uh, they, they say, well, it's good to use. Yeah. 
So I have some in the crankcase now. But it says on the bottle, you can add some to the fuel. Yep. Yeah. Now, are any? Uh, I'm not asking you to endorse any particular product, but I'm curious. It, it does say it will improve mileage a bit. Now, I I wonder if that's in fact true. Um, only, you know, um, only if you add a gallon of it, you'll get a gallon more miles than you would before. <laughs> uh, no, well, it won't do anything to improve mileage. Yeah. Um, but will, it's not will, cheap. will it help, you know, if you add a few ounces to the gasoline, will it help, you know, improve, you know, fuel injector, you know, will it help keep the fuel injectors clean? It It's basically a kind of kerosene oily sort of stuff um it's been around forever i remember i had a car that came into when i used to run the AAA auto diagnostic center over here in rockland we had a car come in and part of the normal test you would do is you would you know as part of the testing for the fuel system you would run the engine and accelerate hard for just a second just boom on the gas pedal and all of a sudden one of the lifters started rattling like crazy. It was tick, 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 making all kinds of noise. And we didn't do anything wrong. We did exactly what you were supposed to do, but this car didn't have a lot of maintenance. And uh, we ran over to the parts store, got a quart of mystery oil, added about half a quart to the crankcase, and let it just sit and idle for about 30 minutes. Noise went away. Engine was quiet as can be. So, so the stuff the stuff actually does what it's supposed to do. It doesn't done it. It doesn't do any more than it's supposed to do. But for a preventative maintenance, it works okay. In fact, I know a guy. This was years and years and years and years ago. He would add Marvel Mystery Oil to his engine uh, on a real regular basis. He would add. I think he would add. When he did his oil change, when cars all cars took five quarts of oil, he would put four and a half quarts of oil in and a half a quart of mystery oil. And he would do that all the time. And then one day, his oil light came on. So he opened the hood, checked it, and, uh, you know, oil level was full, didn't think anything of it, figured it had a bad oil, oil sender, drove it about 35 miles home, when he got when he got home and he worked he worked in a garage and when he got home he the next day started up and drove it to the shop that he worked in figuring that all it was was a bad oil sender because the engine was quiet as could be got it to the shop pulled the oil sender out put a new one in still the oil light was on so then he's like huh maybe it's a bad maybe it's a bad uh, uh, gauge or a bad light or something so he put an oil pressure gauge in it. Oil pressure was just about zero while the oil pump had failed. And I think the only thing that kept the engine from self-destructing was, you know, literally 100,000 miles worth of Marvel Mystery Oil keeping things lubricated. So when there still wasn't enough oil to splash around inside the engine, I think the Marvel Mystery Oil helped just keep bad things from happening. So that's the only thing that's the only thing we could ever attribute it to. So he put an oil pump in it, everything was back together and he drove it I don't know for as long as I knew him. So, you know, so I think, well, I think in cases it can it it does its job and it does its job well. So, but I wouldn't expect better fuel economy. I would just expect, you know, it's not going to hurt it's not going to hurt anything and maybe in fact it might help something. Well, what's the most you would put in uh 
Uh, let's say a 1.8 liter engine. You know, the Toyota I, I mean, engine. I'd, I'd I'd read whatever it says. Probably, you know, pro- I I don't want to overfill anything. That's the important thing. So if the oil is full, I just add a couple of ounces because I don't I don't like overfilling past the full mark. So right, yeah, yeah you don't want to blow a seal. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. So right. read the read the read the container, see what it says, and it's been around since uh, it's been around longer than me, which is not many things these days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a funny story. I looked, but uh, but a, a guy I met at a gas station was had a, was driving a Kia. Now this is not to put down Kia at all. all right. but it, it, it wasn't the model you're driving because 140 horsepower. I bet it accelerates pretty well. Yep. Um, you know they're light and all that. But anyway, he was driving one. He worked for a um, a um, water bottling company, a company that made you know spring water. Yep. yep. But <clears throat> anyway, and all the graphics on his car. And I, and I said, how do you like driving that? I'm, I'll tell me about, you know, the Kia. And he said, not a bad little car. But he said, but he said he drag raced the Prius the other day and he lost. <laughs> well, whatever he was, he was driving one of those cheaper models. Yeah. yeah well, you know, none of, none of those cars are meant for drag racing. And, 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 you know, it's, uh, you know, no one, well, you saw the, you saw the new Prius commercials. They use them in Rob Banks now, you know, so. <laughs> no. All right. No, I just. You know, like the stoplight 500, but I laughed when he said the Prius beat him. Yeah. The Prius beat him. So, you know, a little bit yeah. a little, a little bit more horsepower, but yeah. Okay, boys, well, take care now. All right. All right, well, take care, my friend. Uh, thanks for the mystery. Thanks all right. The mystery, mystery, the mystery of mystery oil. There you go. It's like kerosene-like. Uh, well, it well it has that kerosene based cleaner in it, so that's what helps. That's what helps wash wash away any varnish, which can do things like quiet, noisy lifters, and you know, and, and you yeah, know, well, fix some. Other uh, so you like the product? Oh, of course, yeah. Been you, yeah. you know, every every everybody who's ever worked on a car has used it for something, and no one's ever had a bad experience with it. And yeah, uh, yeah. and even to the point where you use it to lubricate air tools, for instance. So you know, before, right? before you pick up an air wrench or an air ratchet or impact wrench or whatever the case is, you a couple of squirts in there every morning it helps keep all the parts lubricated and working the way they should. All right, all right, all right. Well, thanks, take thanks care, so take care boy. Bye bye now. Yep. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Karen, do we need to take another break? Uh, yeah, do we? Do we? I, think, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. These are all these are all things I don't know. So why don't why don't we take it? Why don't we take another break? And uh, and I'm thinking that uh, that our buddy Paul Sullivan isn't in today, but I think John Costello is in today. So. Why don't we take why don't we take a little quick break and when we come back, we might even have time to talk to you. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. tires the sullivan tire tradition of giving new england great value continues with the biggest tire event of the year all of our tires are on sale if you need tires don't wait every tire we stock is on sale now you can save even more with mail-in rebates on select brands but hurry this sale is only till the end of the month and it's only at sullivan tire you won't find a better place to buy tires and we will not be beat on price come in today go socks visit sullivantire.com for details 
The mission of the Allied War Veterans Council is to mobilize communities to honor, support, and serve America's veterans and military service members. The council is made up of volunteers who are dedicated heart and soul to ensuring that veterans and their families receive the support and opportunities they have rightfully earned. For more than 112 years, Boston has captured the world's attention with the gesture of honoring and recognizing our veterans and servicemen and women. Through the St. Patrick's Day Parade in South Boston, not just a celebration of all things Irish, this parade is the celebration of all things American and the great people who put their lives in harm's way every day for us. If you believe in the mission to help and support veterans and their families, the Allied War Veterans Council of South Boston needs your help now. Please donate today by visiting online, southbostonparade.org. Your support changes lives for veterans throughout Boston. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. Um, you know, should you own a Porsche Macan from 2015, 16, or 17? Well, your car has been recalled, too, because of airbags. That's all they ever seem to recall cars for anymore. Unfortunately, the sensor mat. In the Macan may not work as intended. The issue has been linked to cracks in conductive fabric with the sensor mats resulting from lack of sufficient strength in material. Thankfully, Porsche knows of no uh, cases where uh, passengers were injured. But if you own one of these cars, which isn't very many, don't sell many of them. Uh, there have only seems to there's only 17,000 of them that were sold. But it's a 2015 to 16 Macan S, Macan Turbo, and Macan uh, GTS. Um, you can go and have it fixed. Uh, but if you have any questions about your car, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is where you go to find out information. Or you can actually call them at 888-327-4236. And you can find out more information about whether your car has been recalled or anything like that. Let's talk to John. John. Hi. Hi there. Uh, a question on engine braking. Yes. I'm constantly... Uh, I have a 2015 Honda Pilot, you know, fairly mm-hmm. heavy cap, yeah. but mm-hmm. I'm uh, constantly in the habit of downshifting, you know. Why? From drive to two to one and uh, engine braking. I, is the benefit uh, on engine braking uh, offset by wear and tear on the transmission if you're constantly doing that? You know, there, I always thought so. I always said that, you know, the idea of, and the same thing with people who shift into neutral going down hills, you know, it's the same idea. There's, you know, people who do that. To me, it was always you spend so much time shifting, you're going to wear the shifter out. Uh, and the difference between that and what you're going to gain for fuel economy. Now, what you're doing, downshifting your car, and does your car actually have a sport mode where you can actually bump the shifter up and down? Uh, no. No, okay. My other fear is, depending on the car, Excuse me. Yes, it does. It does. Okay. Yeah. So you're not actually, so it's not like a conventional shifter you're going into. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, You know, the idea behind that was it's supposed to give you a little bit more control. It's supposed to make it feel a little bit more sporty in some cases. If you're towing a trailer, the idea of using the engine to slow it down rather than the brakes is supposed to be helpful. Um, 
I, to me, I'm just lazy. I kind of want to let the transmission do whatever it wants to do on its own. Yeah. yeah. How about saving on the brakes, though? Um, brakes are brakes are cheap. Transmissions yeah. aren't. You know, and that's yeah. how you can buy a set of brake pads for you know even factory Honda brake pads for a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, a factory Honda transmission is five grand. So there's no big deal of anything. To, to me, to me, no. Yeah. But you know, every once in a while, is it? You know, do you just feel like it? Yeah. Are you gonna yeah. do any, you gonna do any harm? None whatsoever. Yeah. And then uh, to it, I guess uh, you know, if you were downshifting and you know, right down to one and one movement, you know. It slows down so fast, and if somebody's behind you, that your brake well, lights wouldn't that, be and, on either. Yeah, and that's and that's the other part is as you're downshifting, yeah, somebody behind you is not going to yeah. know that. And yeah. you know, as we pointed out, you know, here in the Boston area, we tend to tailgate a lot. So, um, yeah. you know, so I again, I don't, I don't have I done it before? Sure. Do I think it's necessary? Yeah. No. If I was coming down a long, if I was coming down Mount Washington. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to try to save my brakes a little bit because I didn't want yeah. to ride the brake pedal the whole way down. Then I'd probably use some engine braking off and on mm-hmm. to slow the vehicle. But but that's about all. Um, yeah. You know, other than that, I'd, just let, I'd let the transmission do its job. But sometimes it's a habit that I was talking to somebody who's been doing it for 40 years, and it, and it drives his wife crazy, and, and, and he said, well, I don't know. I can't get out of the habit now. I've been doing it for so long. So yeah, that's same here. Yeah. Okay. That's all. I all right. To, that's all I wanted to know. Thank you, all Paul. Right. John, Take rather. That's okay. Buddy Paul will be on pretty soon. <laughs> well, he. You know, I don't know where Paul is, but John Costello's here, though. So, um, Mr. Costello. Hello there, Mr. Paul. How are you? I'm good. Where Where is Where is Doctor Sullivan? Once again, I got the call yesterday. He's under the weather. Wow. You know, he's he's in that little petri dish with kids. You know, <laughs> I know and, that's you true. Know, and, everything he touches, everything gets licked and you yeah. know touched. And, 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 and it's and, just and, gross. You know, and, if you think and, about it. And since he's become since he's become a principal, I think he's got. More adults to deal with and more kids to deal. He's just he's uh, John. As you know, you know, and Karen knows. Us adults are gross too. You yeah, think about yeah, it. Yeah. Behind closed doors, we're yeah. all gross. Yeah, but. pretty pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think you're right. So uh, hey, speaking of riding, let me ask you a question. I was uh, just listening to you talking about riding brakes. Have you ever done Mount Washington? A long driving long, down. A long long time ago. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah. my brakes were smoking. Yeah, yeah. You have to. You have to like. To do that, you have to like step on the brake almost hard for a minute, then let them. Then, but people just sort of hold the brake the yeah. whole way down. Yeah. And then at the bottom, they overheat. And, oh man, yeah. I had to stop like six times, yeah. and and yeah. it was smoking, and it was so hot to touch. I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah. No, yes. it's it's not it's not it's not a good thing. So. No, it's not. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is uh, is is Matt is Matt at uh, the Irish Festival. Matt is at the Irish Festival at Foxborough Place uh, or Foxborough oh, so, at Patriot Place. Yeah. He'll be coming on uh, live, and I know Seamus Mulligan is down there as well. So we got a couple of WROL wow. guys wow. down there. And then, of course, uh, St. Patrick's Day, all kinds of stuff. Oh We've man, got five million remotes. On I know Patrick's five million remotes this coming Friday, and uh, should be fun. And then we've got the St. Patrick's. Day parade when we're uh, going to be on the back of a float so it's going to be fun Oof. let's hope the weather's we're in for a huge storm so let's hope the weather uh, cooperates for I, Sunday. I think I think I think by the time St. Patrick's Day comes around it's going to feel like a spring day beautiful and then on Sunday during the parade it'll all be good and by then the snow will melt and everybody will <laughs> you heard it here folks here. John Paul yeah, predicts from, from, a from spring day lips, next Sunday my, my lips are God's ears so <laughs> good man all right we gotta we gotta go we gotta we gotta let Johnny Costello do his job here until next week make sure you 
Wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.